0: Kiara, welcome to Voices of Resilience Radio. That's right. Welcome to Voices of Resilience Radio. This show provides real stories of resilience and post-traumatic growth from real people, including myself, who have lived through childhood sexual abuse to help shine a light of hope for others on their healing journeys. Additionally, this show provides research on the topics of resilience and post-traumatic growth and chapters of my book, Bright, are woven between episodes. This show does not take a deficit approach, but rather the aim is to amplify guests' resilience strategies and their healing journeys. It's not what is wrong, it's what is strong, as a woman who shared her resilient story once said. Although the intended audience is for people of all diversities, backgrounds, and genders who have experienced childhood sexual abuse, this includes adolescents, those who have experienced sexual abuse and other types of trauma may also find the information helpful. Additionally, counselors, psychotherapists, psychologists, and people from other types of supporting professions may also find the information valuable and insightful. If you'd like to be part of the show, please contact me from my website at chrissygilmore.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-S-Y-G-I-L-L-M-O-R-E.com. I hope you find this show truly inspiring and motivating. So, welcome to Voices of Resilience Radio. And this really is my first, first episode. This is the first episode. So I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, it's a huge time right now. It is, um, well, COVID-19. Today is... What is the date? I, had, I don't even know. It's the 12th of April and it's about 8.30 p.m. So that's Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. And I don't know about you, but it kind of feels like Groundhog Day. And I'm actually, I feel sad because of what's going on. And I also see the silver lining myself because I've been able to work on some of these projects that I've been putting off. And I know that other people are doing the same thing. So there's always a silver lining. And that's kind of what this show is about, is the silver lining, really. It's This show is really about resilience and post-traumatic growth uh, for people who have experienced childhood sexual abuse. The childhood is a broad, broad number that also includes adolescence, um yeah so I guess for this show I could kick off and tell you a wee bit about my background and um, a little bit about my story I was also thinking if you're keen on it I was gonna include the first chapter of my book Bright and I think that's about 18 minutes long so I won't talk for too too long here so that you can also listen to the chapter of my book so a little bit about me I am I'm a trained counsellor. I just finished my Master of Counselling last year at Massey University. Um, It was amazing. It was, and I'm not trying to give them a plug or anything here, but it was awesome. I loved it. I grew so much as a person, um, spiritually, socially, emotionally, everything. I don't know about physically. I think I think I actually didn't exercise as much as I usually do. Not that I'm crazy about that either way, but it's just, you know, something's got to give when when we're working super, super hard on projects. Um, Yeah, so I am a counsellor. My previous background was I worked in marketing and communications. Um, I got a Master of Management in marketing, so I called it a mmm. Um, um, I got that... Oh gosh, 2014, I finished it. And I worked in marketing and communications for seven years. um, And then I stopped. It just wasn't for me. I think it was 2017 is when I was like, mm, nah, this isn't for me. And it's not that it isn't, it's a great job. I loved it. I did really well, actually. Like I, I'm quite a creative person. And it just, I just felt like for me, something was lacking and now I know why because I'm meant to be doing this uh yeah so in 2000 I was working at a company working in marketing I think it was 2015 and that's when things were kind of shifting actually even a little bit before then I was finding that when my child turned five and that was the time that my the sexual abuse that happened to me had happened. It was a real trigger for me. And I did a lot of counseling. I found myself um, back in the counseling room. And at the time, I didn't even know that healing is a journey. It's not about, okay, it's done now. It's not like you take a pill and the journey's over. Mental health is so different from medical health. And I think that there's huge myths that we need to look at um, and examine in our societies and cultures. But that's on the side. So where was I? Okay, so I, um yeah, so my son turned five, and that was really difficult for me. And again, silver lining, because I found that, you know, I had this idea of, okay, if I just become really awesome at my job and I just won't do anything like my past, then, then I know that'll never happen again in my lifetime, hopefully. But the thing is, is it's not that simple and like I said, it's not something that you can take a pill for and you're just healed. Um, it take it's a journey. It takes every day. Well-being is a verb. We do something every day to take care of ourselves. So it was a silver lining, although it was incredibly incredibly, incredibly hard. It was so hard. I was I felt so scared going to counseling because. In my mind, I thought, "What's going on with me?" I thought this was all quote unquote dealt with in two thousand and fifteen I was in this marketing role and I got to meet some pretty darn cool people it was it was a very creative role um it was it was hard too, but it was good um but it just it didn't it didn't have that that um for me, it just I was not using my background. so i I ended up meeting this woman named Simone Ellen Keller, and she was she was uh she's a marketing strategist and she was also piloting this program that she developed called Genius You. and I thought it was a branding, like a personal branding um, program. so. I didn't know very much about it and I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I, I want to give it a go because I was also experiencing this kind of, this stuff going on inside me and I was just trying to keep it at bay and just, okay, just stay at home, just stay at home. I'm at work now. I'm at work. Everything's fine. Everything's perfect. Um, yeah, so I went on this course and I can remember the first little bit of the course when I was doing the exercises, it was about, I would reply, I think it was about like blind spots. What are your gifts? What are your blind spots? What can you do that no one else in the world can do? And it was funny because I just tried to keep the filter on, just professional filter. I'm really good at spreadsheets. I'm really good at organizing people in my time. And it was really, um, you know, it was really on the surface. And I'm not trying to say that that's, you know, there's nothing, it's not negative. And it definitely is a resilience factor. I am excellent at organizing. Um, organizing things helps me uh, feel better, which also, you know, it's it kind of acts as a wee bit of a shield. Um, But the thing is, is I felt like, you know, things happen in, in life and sometimes there's these weird synchronicities and you meet people. And I felt like, I needed to meet her, and I did that program, and by the end of the program, I um, I started writing my book, Bright, and that's what I'm going to read a chapter out of at the end of this little intro, and um, I wrote the book in three months, and then I did a Kickstarter page, and it was a successful campaign, and I got... Um, It was $1,000 for editing and proofreading. And I was in the newspaper and um, I even had a video done. So it was really cool. It was was a cool, cool piece of work. And I had a lot of support from people and people I didn't even know pledged money. Um, And the book's on Kindle and I think it's free. Yeah, it's gonna be free from the 14th to the 18th. You can download it um, from Kindle. I should probably put something in this um, show just to let you guys know. So the 14th to 18th, that's the US date, I'm pretty sure, because it's Kindle, um, sorry, Amazon.com. But if you look for Bright Shining Light by Dow, D-O-W, Ming, M-I-N-G, there's a wee bit of, story, of a story behind that. That's my pen name, Dow Ming. If you look for that book, it's free for five days um, if you have Kindle. If you don't, you can also go to my website at chrissygilmore.com. That's C H uh, R I S S Y G I L L L M O R E.com. Um, and just flick me an email, and I'm happy to send you out the PDF as well. It's no prob, no I problema. You know that actually you don't say no problemo. That's actually wrong. It's actually no I problema. Would you believe? And that means it is not a problem. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, so whew, what else? Well, that's me in a very small nutshell. This, oh, yeah, this is pretty big. Um, last year for my master's, that's kind of where this is kind of, um, kind of spiraled from last year. I did this uh, research paper and it was, uh, the lived experiences of resilience. Oh gosh, I can't even remember the title. Anyways, I'm, (laughs) that's, that's quite funny. So much, so many, so many titles. Um, it's the lived experiences of resilience for female, adult, um, for women who went through childhood sexual abuse. I can't even remember the title, but anyways, that's where this has come from. It's a systematic literature review. And what that is, is it's qualitative as well. So what it is, is I went around and I found, um, all of the, in English, cause I don't speak another language, um. I found all of the research, the academic research that was done on this topic, resilience, childhood sexual abuse, females, lived experiences, and had to be qualitative. So I searched as many databases as I could find, and I looked for um, published research. I didn't look for what they call gray literature, which is unpublished, which is still very good, might I add. Um, So I did that. And I found um, that's kind of what this show has spiraled from, actually, is that research. Right now I'm working on it with a supervisor at Massey. And hopefully um, we'll get it to a really good, um, I don't know, to a published state. State, I guess. Yeah. So I can send it to academic journals and all that kind of stuff and hopefully I'll get published which will be cool Um, yeah so that's where this is from I just found and I'm going to talk about the research in future episodes and I will remember the title for you and I'll actually tell you what the accurate title is um (laughs) yeah but hey it's 8 30 and it's groundhog day day here and we're all saving the world and I think I'm done here now talking. I'm going to let you, I'm going to put a little link to my book. And if you want the PDF, if you're not on Kindle, let me know. I'm happy to send it to you. And also, I will be reading my book on this show. Um, so I'm going to kind of weave the book chapters in between, um, in between hopefully some really, really awesome um interviews with guests on their resilience and their lived experiences of resilience i'm really excited and i'm so happy so so i feel so happy to have you on my show to have you listening and if you want to be on my show i'd be very happy for that as well so you can find all of that on my website go to chrissygelmer.com and there's actually click on be my guest it's from the um what was that Disney movie? Be My Guest, Be My Guest, Put the Magic to the Test. That one. I can't remember what it is. But, anyways, that's where Be My Guest comes from. And yeah, it's an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Kakite, Ano. Bright by Dao Ming. To my husband and son, may you only live in love. Acknowledgements. Thank you to my wonderful husband. You are amazingly supportive, funny, smart, kind, handsome, and my best friend, my soulmate. I am so thankful for you. You make me laugh, especially when I'm taking myself too seriously. Thank you to my beautiful son. I love you to infinity and back times 1 million, and infinity again. You are my inspiration. Your kindness is deeper than the ocean. At your age, you figured out the meaning of life, to love. I'm so very proud of you. Thank you to all my family and friends too. I love your support. I believe in you. You're amazing. And I'm so blessed to have you in my life. Thank you to my Kickstarter pledgers, who I'm so grateful for. Thank you. Thank you to my readers for picking up this book. Whether you've been abused yourself, know someone who has been abused, or want to learn more about the journey of being abused, being silenced, and then learning to pick up the pieces of a broken heart again, I know this book will help. I hope this book will inspire you to keep moving forward. I hope you grow as a person as a result of reading the story. I know you will. Dao Ming this book is a blended work of nonfiction with fiction. Some parts and names have been changed to protect the living. Chapter 1. Grassroots This is Grassroots. This is where it all starts. Jim Black It all starts on a farm in Abbotsford, British Columbia. This is a farm with a one-bedroom house where seven children and two Hungarian immigrants lived. Although they were married, they had immigrated to Canada at different times. They were poor farmers and couldn't afford two tickets to travel by ship to Canada. So in 1927, my grandpa, Adrian Gabra, Adrian in English, traveled from Presnov, Czechoslovakia, to Nova Scotia, Canada. For two years, he worked on the railroads in Ontario, Canada. In 1929, my grandma... Francesca Gabra followed. After finally being reunited, they traveled by train to Saskatchewan where grandma farmed the flatlands by hand. They settled in the south of Saskatchewan for three years. In a small town in southern Saskatchewan, they had their first child, a girl. Life in the middle of Canada was rough. People like grandma and grandpa lived in makeshift housing Winter temperatures often hit extremes of minus 50 degrees Celsius with wind chill on top. Grandma and Grandpa's first baby died before she turned one, possibly from cot death. We don't know. They traveled by rail to the west coast near Vancouver, not long after their daughter died. They found residence in Abbotsford, a town known for its rich farmlands close to the Washington-U.S. border. In a small farmhouse... They raised seven children, Gary, Albert, Anne, Virginia, Florence, a.k.a. Mom, Olive, and Jason. From top to tail, the kids' ages span from 15 years. That's over 15 years of wiping bottoms, changing nappies, and dealing with most of the growing pains that children go through, as well as lots of grubby faces, bellowing laughter, and runny noses. The kids grew up in tough conditions. It was hard on them. It was hard on Mum. Climbing trees, the ultimate tomboy, Mum had snow white hair until she was about nine. They spoke only Majar, Hungarian, at home. Her first English lesson happened one day of school. She didn't know a word of English before then, but picked it up swiftly, discovering what discrimination means. In between working on the farm and school, mum's childhood playtime was spent with the animals that were constantly in and out of the house. She learned how to use treats to train chickens. She could get chickens to walk up an oven door like a ramp, right into the oven, cold of course. She also loved reading and had her nose in different books growing up. And she used to build dollhouses that her brother Albert would smash later. Grandpa could barely read a word of English. Once mum had learned to read, he would have her read many stories to him. One of his favourites was Pippi Longstocking. He loved the story of Pippi's, and Pippi's world was a lot like mum's. Horse in the house, raising herself, and not really putting up with any of society's rubbish. And speaking of stories, grandpa was suspicious of most things on TV. He was a man before his time. The night that Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, Mum and her family tuned in to watch. Grandpa was adamant that the whole moon landing thing was a fix up. He was convinced that Neil wasn't really on the moon. It was Hollywood. Boota! Boota! Stupid! Stupid! He yelled at the TV. He loved that word. Nine was a pivotal age for Mum. It was the year that she got her first period. The year she lost sight in her left eye. The year she started picking. And the year she started smoking. Aunt Virginia and mom had been playing in a barn on the family farm. Aunt Virginia lost her temper with mom and threw a fork at her that pierced mom's eye. Grandpa didn't believe in doctors nor could he afford them. He removed the fork from mom's eye, wrapped a bandage around her head and eye and didn't seek medical attention until about a month later. She was hospitalized and given several rounds of antibiotics. But it was far too late to save her eye. The antibiotics could only kill the infection. From the time Mom was nine, she found paid work every summer. She'd go away for whole summers to pick berries and fruit at various farms around Abbotsford, and even as far north as the Okanagan. She'd pick strawberries, cucumbers, raspberries, blueberries, apples, cherries, peaches, nectarines, She'd pick from the end of June to late August, right up until school started. It was her way of earning money to provide herself with necessities like clothing and shoes. She never got a hand-holding, nurturing kind of childhood. From the time that she could walk, her hands were put into something useful around the farm. There were two main reasons that Grandpa had to work so hard. Grandma's multiple sclerosis... M.S. and Uncle Gary's business adventure. Grandma's M.S. was debilitating. She became crippled shortly after being diagnosed. By the time Mum was a teenager, Grandma needed full-time care. Grandpa was solely responsible for taking care of seven children, earning a living, and taking care of Grandma. Mum described Grandma as the kindest person and the best Christian she ever knew in her entire life what grandma believed she lived. She had the thickest, jet black hair. It was so long it reached her bottom. And when she brushed it, mum would watch in awe. It was like a wave. And then there was Uncle Gary's business adventure. 10 years, mum's senior, the oldest child. Gary had left school very young, at around nine. Most of my aunts and uncles did. Gary didn't have much choice about leaving school, though. What, with his father struggling to make ends meet and raise the younger children? School wasn't profitable. There was no money in education. Kids were meant to support the farm and the family. This was the old, proletariat type of thinking. More hands made lighter work, and Grandpa needed all the help he could get. At age 16, Uncle Gary wanted to get into the trucking industry. Grandpa helped him. Becoming Uncle Gary's guarantor for a heavy duty truck purchase. Uncle Gary didn't understand that he needed to get out there, secure immediate work to make payments, and straight away. Months, one, two, three, four, five went by. Uncle Gary didn't have the money to pay the installments, and they kept mounting. The responsibility of making the payments fell on Grandpa, who couldn't. Grandpa declared bankruptcy. Even though Grandpa had suffered a serious financial blow, he was forgiving. He still helped his oldest sons out as much as he could. Uncle Albert got into the honey bucket business, a nice name for driving a septic tank truck. Because way back when, people had outhouses and they would do their deeds in an old honey bucket. When Mom was really little, they did their deeds in a honey bucket. Neatly situated in their outhouse, which was separate from the house, on the ground was one honey bucket. They were so poor that they fought over who got to use the glossy flyers. They wiped better. Uncle Albert would empty people's sewers with his honey bucket truck, and then spray the results on Grandpa's raspberry bushes at the back of the property. The sewage would drip down the raspberry bushes and slew between the rows. Mum, Aunt Olive, Aunt Virginia, and Uncle Fred would excitedly run up and down the rows looking for any treasures they could find. Their favorites were these giant white balloons. They'd blow them up and even take them to school. Mum smoked from the age of nine, she became addicted to cigarettes pretty much right away. Mum dreamt that heaven was a room packed full of cartons of cigarettes. All her siblings smoked as children, although most of them would quit, Mum included, as young adults. They'd often steal tobacco from Grandpa's export egg green tins and learn to roll cigarettes between their tiny fingers, like seasoned smokers. When Grandpa caught them, he peed in the half full tobacco tin they were stealing from and stashed another tin in a new hiding place. They stopped stealing from him and instead found old half-smoked cigarette butts where they could. When mum was 12, she started getting into trouble. One day she stole a pair of jeans from a clothing store and got caught. The police hauled her home in the back of a cop car. Already at his wits end with the farm, financial situation and grandma's illness, Grandpa reluctantly made Mum a ward of the court. She lived in foster care until she was of an age to live on her own. After 12 years of doing her best to help make ends meet, a pair of jeans cost Mum her family home. Mum became part of a new family. Her foster father sexually abused her. What a pervert he was, playing tickling games with a young girl who was feeling sad, lonely and abandoned. Although her own family kicked her out of the family home well before she was ready to leave, at least he didn't rape her. Mum took to eating to hide the pain. Her foster mother was on a different diet every week, probably to escape the awkwardness of being married to a pedophile. After gaining weight, mum decided to jump on the diet bandwagon with her. Their favourite was the grapefruit diet, where they'd both eat mostly grapefruits, For weeks. Between diets, mum and her foster mother would eat whole tubs of ice cream. Their favourite was maple walnut ice cream. A Canadian delicacy. By the time mum was 16, grandma's MS had gotten really bad. Her quality of life dwindled to the point that she couldn't do anything herself anymore. She'd just sit in her wheelchair and cry. Mum would visit her family home to help her sister's nurse, Grandma, through the end. Grandma had a stroke and was hospitalized at MSA Hospital in Abbotsford. Mom visited her there, but Grandma barely recognized her. She died of pneumonia in the hospital. At the funeral, Mom felt Grandma had left for a better place, where sorrows, pain, and sadness no longer existed. Since her spirit was one with the Lord for many years, Grandma's death simply made joining God official. Mom was still 16 when she and Aunt Virginia went to a festival in Vancouver. They stayed in a cheap, sleazy motel in East Vancouver slums. They went to bed early, but Mom couldn't sleep. At around midnight, she decided to go for a walk. She was walking around the block when she decided to take a shortcut down a back alley rather than continue the long route she was attacked and raped when the rapist had done his business he left mom went on her way back to the motel where her sister was sleeping the next day they went to the festival mom didn't tell her sister what had happened she didn't want to ruin the weekend in her mind it was partially her fault for being in the wrong place at the wrong time mom just let it go quietly Despite her turbulent adolescence, Mum graduated from high school at the top of her class with all the prerequisites to study to become a medical doctor. She prepared her application to attend medical school at the University of British Columbia. At age 17, Mum was now torn between her love of medicine and love for her boyfriend, Mark. Mark was 20 and wanted to take care of her although he told her that he supported her choice to become a doctor and even drove her to the university to drop off her application. Even though she'd had a premonition about Mark when he talked to her about how wonderful it would be to get married and start a family of their own, Mum felt guilty for wanting to study. Mark stayed in his car while Mom walked up the large set of stairs to the university's main entrance. When she got to the top, she looked back at Mark, sitting in his car, waiting for her. He smiled. She smiled back. She felt sorry for him. She felt like there couldn't be anything in Mark she couldn't fix with love. It was in that instant that she decided not to study, but to marry Mark instead. And that's where the real story begins. Kia ora, welcome to Voices of Resilience Radio. This is Voices of Resilience Radio. I hope you found this truly inspiring and uplifting, and that you've gained some gems along the way of your healing journey. Remember to be gentle on yourself and go well. For more episodes just like this, please remember to subscribe on rss.com, Spotify, or from my website at ChrissyGelmore.com. I'd love to receive your feedback, suggestions, and you can provide this also on my website. If you'd like to be on the show, please fill out my Be My Guest web form also on my website. Keep shining your gorgeous light.